words shape our faith. The spoken word, the written word, the sung word. After all, the Gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whether sacred or secular, we are shaped by the words we connect with in our daily living. The words that we find in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian community shapes both the Corinthians and us today by reminding us that God's work on the cross and thus God's work in the world is that of overturning expectations. Scholar Richard Hayes writes, God is creating God's new community out of unimpressive material precisely to exemplify the power of God's own unmerited grace. In the Corinthian community, community filled with those who were poor and powerless by society's standards, Paul reminds them that God chose them. God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Overturning expectations has been God's line of work since the very beginning. God has been using what we deem as foolish to show us wisdom. God has been making God's kingdom out of words, the sacred and secular, spoken, written, and sung from surprising sources and in the places where we would expect God to be. All of this to enable us to see God among us. As Christians, knowing that God works in surprising and unexpected places, our work is training ourselves to be curious, to take notice, to begin discovering God in the places where we least expect God to be. It's easy to see God where we expect God to be. It's not that surprising to encounter God in worship or in an anthem sung by the choir or at Montreat or Massanetta. But because of that, so often we create divides between the places where we experience God and, well, everywhere else where experiencing God feels a bit more hazy. We create divides between the sacred words we consume on Sundays and the words we consume throughout the rest of the week. We tell ourselves these things are totally separate. And in doing so, we miss the places where God already is. Outside of the church, outside of Sunday mornings, outside of the clear-cut things we view as sacred. This morning, we are finishing our This Is My Story sermon series based on the Sunday school class Andrew taught this fall after his sabbatical. We've heard many of the topics that this class explored, but this morning we will be exploring the idea of finding God's love and grace within someone's body of work that a congregant has gotten to know well. This deep dive into someone's work allows us to see the patterns, the themes, the arcs, and to see glimmers of God's grace within it. Andrew saw this pattern in Eugene Peterson's life as he read the six million words in Karl Barth's Dogmatics twice. And Andrew also saw this pattern in Karl Barth's life as he read the Institutes of John Calvin 
at least twice. That book is also very long. Both pastors found God's wisdom within these deep dives into others' work. But God's wisdom isn't contained to dense theological books. God's wisdom can be found in a variety of influences in our life. And so today, Emily Biddle is going to share with us her experience of finding glimmers of God's grace within the written word of a crime novel series. For the last couple of years, I have been reading through the Chief Inspector Gamache series of books by Louise Penny. I did not pursue this reading as anything other than entertainment, but each of her 18 novels has revealed to me a stunning picture of God's grace. Though not a Christian writer per se, Penny cannot escape acknowledging the presence of God as she explores the complexities of human nature. Her books are murder mysteries, but they are not primarily focused on the crime. Rather, the mysteries are embedded in a much bigger story about the characters and how they struggle. Characters who certainly seem a lot like the cast of characters with, which, uh, with whom Jesus spends his days. The story follows a French-Canadian police detective. He is an aging man whose life's work has been bringing justice to the victims and families of homicide. And while he has investigated many crime scenes, the taking of one life by another never fails to shock him. He has been described as supremely decent, quietly intelligent, and startlingly kind. He has interests in the fine arts, philosophy, and music, and he is often heard quoting poetry. Not at all what you'd expect from someone hunting killers. He has the unusual practice of seeking out misfits for his investigative team. He takes those who have been cast aside and gives them a second chance. He recognizes their pain as well as their capacity to heal. He mentors them, nurtures their strengths, and ultimately guides them toward the realization of their potential. Not a pushover, he commands respect, not necessarily for himself, but the families and victims he serves. His proclivity for showing others unmerited favor has gotten him framed for corruption, wounded in the line of duty, and targeted by criminals and coworkers alike. But perhaps what makes him most intriguing is that despite the malicious acts he has seen, he seeks out the good in people rather than becoming retaliatory or vengeful. Sound like anyone we know? But unlike Jesus, he is not perfect. He has scars, both visible and unseen, and he wrestles with forgiveness and faith. But it's through these struggles, both past and present, that he's able to bring wisdom and insight to the gruesome scenes he encounters. And of course, in true mystery writing fashion, he always discovers the murderer and the motive in the end. And rather than being set by the Sea of Galilee, the chief inspector's world is set in a small village south of Montreal. It's not on any map and seems to reveal itself to those who are lost. It's charming, aside from the disproportionate number of bodies that seem to appear. It has a bakery, a bistro, a B&B, and a general store. It has peace and stillness and laughter. It has great joy and great sadness and the ability to accept both and be content. It has companionship and kindness, a place that provides a soft landing, as the author describes it. And although the village is a place you'd want to live, the author is clear. This is a community of outcasts, a refuge for sinners and those in need of a second chance. The chief inspector's investigations often become intertwined with these recurring characters who ultimately become his friends, flawed and complex people who love and support one another. 
people who are always eating gourmet meals around a table despite their differences. These characters also have failing marriages, alcohol addictions, and secrets to hide. But they come together and are thankful for one another. Gathered around the table, they enact a hoped-for world. Grace is enacted through the characters as they live in community with one another, as they forgive one another, offer second chances, and continue to gather around a table meal after meal. God's grace permeates every aspect of this world, even if the characters don't recognize it as such. The following is a quote from the series that most embodies this idea of God's inescapable grace. It comes from a bit of prose describing the view while driving out of the village and into Montreal. The skyline of Montreal was looming in the foreground now across the river, and Mont Royal rose in the middle of the city. The huge cross on top of the mountain was invisible now, but every night it sprang to life, lit as a beacon to a population that no longer believed in the church, but believed in family, friends, culture, and humanity. But the cross didn't seem to care. It glowed just as bright. In this fictional world, much like our own, there seems to be a growing divide between the sacred and secular. Like the chief inspector, we can struggle as people of faith in a secular world. The cross is a reminder that God's grace is inescapable. It shines bright regardless. So entertainment, absolutely. But when read with eyes of faith, a beautiful picture of grace emerges. For it is within these ordinary places of our lives that gospel moments can be found. Glimmers of grace all around us, even in a secular mystery novel. A cross glowing bright. God's grace finds us in what seems foolish. In the book series of gruesome crime, with characters who know sorrow and joy, who are aware of their own brokenness, and yet who gather around a table and find reconciliation there. Just as we gather around Christ's table and find reconciliation in the Lord's Supper, God finds us in the ordinary, in the series that we can't put down, in the TV show that we've watched all of the seasons of, and the discography of Bruce Springsteen or of Taylor Swift, and a story of a mustard seed that invites our imagination to explore the possibility of God as we find in the seed and the song. As our culture grows more secular, it can be easy to assume that God's grace is just disappearing, but God's wisdom invites us to consider a new perspective. God's wisdom is being revealed in the places that we deem foolish, in the places where we think, well, certainly God is absent here, for God's wisdom is beyond our comprehension. And God is at work in ways we cannot understand, nor sometimes can we find. The cross in Emily's favorite quote that shines brightly over the town is a cross that shines over a town where people know the value of community and culture and humanity and who gather together. Well, that cross shines no matter what. Christ's light shines no matter what. And while the characters in the story might not have the words for it, 
God is at work in those people and in their lives. As Christians, our task is observing, training ourselves to notice God's activity, even if others doubt that it's there. We are the ones who connect the dots between the ordinary and God's kingdom. We are the ones who do the translation work between the written words that we find out in the world and the written words of our faith. We do this work so that we can see that the divide between the two is much smaller than we think. Karl Barth, in one of his lectures that eventually became part of his church dogmatics, says that the Christian church's one task is to make the confession that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior heard in the sphere of the world as well as the church. There must be translation, for example, into the language of the world in the same way as we say in the forms of church language. We know the language of pulpit and altar, which outside the area of the church is as effectual as a foreign language. So let us beware of remaining stuck where we are and refusing to advance to meet worldly attitudes. Karl Barth wrote those words in the wake of World War II and speaking to preachers in Germany. And this is still our task in 2023, to lean into the perspective that God is overturning our expectations and to begin this translation work. For God is not just interested in the words that we hear on Sunday mornings. God is interested in already a part of our whole lives. So let us notice glimmers of God's grace already around us in the places that we have deemed foolish. Amen. <laughs>